It's Thursday, May 10th, and this is The Daily Dive. We start with the curious medical case of Kendra Jackson. She was told by her doctors that her constantly runny nose was due to allergies. After dealing with the symptoms for years, she found out that she was leaking fluid from her brain, a condition known as cerebrospinal fluid leak. We'll speak to Dr. Jim Keeney, Chief of Staff-Elect at Mission Hospital in Orange County, California, about what exactly is a CSF leak. We'll also talk about a tweet from the president that got a lot of attention from journalists and interpreted as a possible attack on freedom of the press. The president called negative news coverage about him fake news and openly questioned whether journalist credentials should be taken away. We'll speak to Olivia Nuzzi, Washington correspondent for New York Magazine, for reaction and what it is like to be banned from a Trump event. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I knew something was wrong. I knew it. I'm like, spinal fluid? Everywhere I went, I always had a box of puffs. Always stuffed in my pocket. I couldn't sleep. I was like a zombie. I was up all night. Joining us now is Dr. Jim Keeney, Chief of Staff-Elect at Mission Hospital in Orange County, California. So we have this really curious case of Kendra Jackson. She's from Omaha, Nebraska. She was going to the doctor for the past few years, complaining of a runny nose. She was coughing. She thought it was a cold. And when they finally realized exactly what happened to her, she had a cerebrospinal fluid leak. What what is that and what happened with Kendra Jackson? Cerebrospinal fluid is the fluid that bathes the brain. It actually goes all the way down the spine, too. So that's what, when we do a spinal tap, when we're checking for meningitis, for example, that's just a safe place to put a needle and just collect some of the stuff. But this is fluid. It surrounds the brain, and it's, it, it creates a blood-brain barrier so that toxins and things that get into the blood don't necessarily cross over into the brain. And so your body produces this on a regular basis, probably about a, a half a liter of CSF a day. That's what was short for spirit cerebrospinal fluid, we call it CSF. And then that fluid, it's absorbed as it's produced, and there's a balance between those two. And your body can kind of sense how much it needs to make so that it can keep a constant pressure inside the brain. So if you have a hole in the covering over the brain, you can leak this fluid out, and that's that's a, a pathological, that's a problem. That's not no, a normal condition. Uh, you know, I would assume about 90% of the people who get a CSF leak, it, it's because of trauma. They they fracture a bone in their in their face, you know, in the sinuses uh, up near the, the top of the nose, and then that allows that covering of the brain maybe to poke through and eventually kind of balloon out and break, and then a little leak will form, and then you get spinal fluid coming out. In Kendra Jackson's case, she said that she was in a car accident a few years prior, and then after some time had passed, then she started getting the runny nose. She started leaking some of this fluid. Right. So that's why, you know, a lot of times you don't see this right away is because um, it's not that necessarily the covering of the brain cares with the fracture. It's the fracture opens up the space. It allows the covering almost like a, like a balloon herniating through an opening. And then that pressure that your brain is producing as it produces the CSF pushes it through and eventually it, it wears out and pops. And now you're getting a spinal leak. It's a kind of a delayed event after the fact. In this case, she uh, was suffering from coughing, sneezing, the runny nose. The first natural inclination is, I'm getting a cold. The reports were that they gave her all sorts of different medicines that would treat that runny nose, treat whatever sinus infection they thought she might have. It wasn't until they did a CT scan of her that they showed the, the leak. 
a CT scan is not the first thing <laughs> your doctor is going to do if you're com- complaining of a runny nose, right? Right. Well, and, and what I would imagine is the CT scan showed a fracture, a healed fracture, an old fracture that made them suspect the leak because it's actually really hard to even see the leak on a CT scan. Typically, what we do is we send that fluid. The best test is to send that fluid for a specific test for a protein that's only found in CSF. And if we find that present, then we know that, that it's CSF. In this case, Kendra Jackson said she was losing about half a liter of fluid per day. Is there such thing as losing too much of the CSF fluid? It's amazing how much your body can produce. You know, when we put in drains to drain CSF, they really can produce quite a bit. When you put in a drain called a shunt, where we shunt the fluid because, say, they're producing too much and they're creating pressure in the brain, we shunt that down all the way to the abdomen so you're actually reabsorbing the fluid. So in her case, if you, when it's leaking out and you're not reabsorbing it, it's just a matter of the, the fluid loss, you know, where you can replace that by drinking. But, uh, no, that's a lot of fluid to lose half a liter is about how much CSF a normal person would produce. Given that fact, she would have to produce quite a bit more, and that is possible. So the loss itself wouldn't be as big of a problem. You can replace that fluid loss. She also said that at times it would drain into the back of her throat and it produced a very salty taste. Is there any other indications that we can look for that it's not uh, the run-of-the-mill cold or mucus? It's something a little more serious. No, you know, tears are salty, you know, mucus is salty, everything your body produces is basically salt water. So that wouldn't necessarily tip you off. I think what tips you off is if you're saying it's allergies, okay, so most of these cases, more than half, only affect one side. So it always drains out of one side. If you're talking about allergies, that shouldn't happen. It should alternate. Your nasal cavity kind of expands on one side and contracts on the other and alternates side to side. So you should kind of alternate which side the fluid's draining out of. So one small clue is it always drains out of the same side. The other clue is it's always clear and watery, like tears almost. And that's, that's what CSF looks like, normal CSF. Now, a lot of times if it's allergies, it'll get a little bit more mucusy. Sometimes it can be just watery as well. The key clues here in almost every case is prior head trauma. That's from 90%. And then a much smaller percent is that you had previous surgery, like sinus surgery or you know a nose job or any kind of surgery around the center of the face or the, the middle of the face and the upper sinuses or eye surgery. Those things can, can leave a leak behind. Much rarer is just the person who spontaneously out of nowhere uh, has a leak. That, that's almost unheard of. Working in a hospital after stories like this come out, when things pop up in the news, do they people always come in thinking they had that same thing? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the news, the sensationalization of some of these more rare disorders, they're interesting because they're rare. They do get into people's minds and psyche, and then they start worrying about it, and they seek medical attention to try and put their worries at rest. So this definitely is good for business. People tend to want to be sure that they don't have a spinal leak. One last question. The CDC has just reported that More people are getting sick from E. coli found in romaine lettuce, up to 149 people in 29 states now. What do we do if you think you have an E. coli infection? They're saying pay attention to where this particular romaine lettuce is coming from. If it's coming out of Yuma, Arizona, don't eat it. But a lot of people don't pay attention or they'll buy a mixed bag of of lettuce. If you think this is uh, affecting you, what should you do? How serious is it? 
E. coli infections can actually kill people, this particular type, because it's the a strain called 0157. And uh, that strain can cause kidney failure. It can cause bloody diarrhea to the point where you uh, need a blood transfusion. It can cause dysfunction of your clotting mechanisms. So it's pretty serious for some people. In this case in particular, they said 14 people had suffered from kidney failure. Yeah, and, and the problem is that giving someone antibiotics to try and treat bacterial infection in this case makes the condition worse. When we treat diarrhea in the ER, typically what we'll do, and especially when there's an outbreak like this, is we'll get a, a culture of the stool and we'll wait for that result because if it's this strain, it's better to support the patient through it and allow the body to heal this naturally rather than give antibiotics. I would say that if you can't keep up with the fluid losses, you're very weak and dizzy, you need to seek medical attention. If you notice that you're having a lot of blood in the stool, that pretty much everyone's going to come to the ER for that. If you're just having kind of the diarrhea that some people have had from time to time and you're able to cope with it as far as you don't feel that bad, your fluid intake is okay, and you, you feel like you're keeping up with it, you don't necessarily need to come in to see the doctor just because you're worried about this particular E. coli because the people that go into kidney failure or that have blood clotting problems, they end up having a lot more symptoms and they feel absolutely horrible. So those are the cases where I would tend to want to come in. Pay attention where you're buying your romaine lettuce from. Dr. Jim Keeney, <laughs> Chief of Staff Elect at Mission Hospital in Orange County, California. Thank you very much for joining suggestion of taking American journalists press credentials away advocating for a free press in this country. The fact that I'm standing here taking questions, the fact that the president took questions from uh, your colleagues just two hours ago demonstrates this White House's commitment uh, to accessibility and to providing information to the American public. We are here. We are taking questions. We are doing everything we can to provide uh, regular and constant information to the American people. And there is a responsibility by you guys to provide accurate information. Joining us now is Olivia Nutzi. She's a Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. So the president took another shot at one of his favorite targets, the media. He tweeted, the fake news is working overtime. 91% of the network news about me is negative. Fake. Why do we work so hard in working with the media when it is corrupt? Take away credentials, he asked at the very end of it. What is he talking about? There's a lot to unpack in the tweet. He seems to be defining the term fake as negative press coverage, which is, of course, what any sane person understood him to be talking about all of this time when he said fake news. But it's pretty astonishing that he just blatantly put it in a parenthetical in the tweet. We have the second half of the tweet in which he threatens to take away press credentials. This is something that he's done before, literally on the Trump campaign. Certain media outlets and certain reporters were banned. I was banned beginning, I want to say, in November of 2015, along with my colleagues at the time at the Daily Beast. We reported pretty critically on Donald Trump at the time, and there were several stories which I, I know agitated him personally. What did that ban look like for you? It was very annoying because it didn't change our coverage at all. 
But what it did for me, because I was the person who was in the earliest parts of the campaign during the Republican primary until he was the nominee assigned to cover him full time for the Daily Beast, what it did for me was it, it just made my life logistically very difficult when I was on the road going to his rallies, because when you don't have a press credential and you are not permitted to enter a stadium in Ohio with the press, you have to get there several hours early and line up with the voters or or the citizens who are coming to see him, which is great in that I learned a lot. I wasn't among reporters. I was among the people who actually ended up voting for him. And it was probably better for me in the end, having had that experience across the country in all these different states. But it was just a gigantic pain in the ass, frankly. I remember in New Hampshire, I was going to several different events the day of the primary. And it was snowing, and I had to do my job. You know, I had to write my story and, and do a report. But I was afraid to, you know, identify myself as a reporter, and so I didn't want to interview people until I had gotten inside. I was outside on a line for a few hours with a few other band reporters. It just made it very difficult to focus on covering the election and see all the events that I needed to see because I had to spend so much time just waiting to get into these venues. And I want to be really clear, Donald Trump's band outlets that did critical coverage of him, but he was unhappy with the networks a lot, with CNN, with NBC, and he did not ban them because they were streaming his rallies live. There was that's where that was going to be on TV. So it was very strategic. In the end, I don't I don't think it did you know what he was hoping it would do. What have uh, your colleagues and other reporters been saying about the president's tweets? The the most recent one. It's a little difficult to become too riled up on this type of thing, especially because he has threatened this before since being in the White House, and he has not followed through on it. You know, it's interesting because this White House makes it a point to say, oh, we are the most transparent White House ever. We are so transparent. And it's true that we have access to the White House in a way that it wasn't true on the campaign. You know, like I have a, a permanent pass for the White House. I can go to the briefings if I want to, but that it doesn't mean that it's transparent. I mean, the only interviews that Trump does are basically with Fox News, with people who are pretty sycophantic towards him. He hasn't had a major press conference aside from one very early on, and then when other uh, dignitaries are uh, heads, other heads of state are in attendance, they you know do the traditional. Uh, you know, ask me one question, ask them another totally. question. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, do, do you... I think, you know, what, what getting rid of credentials really means is like, for the sake of argument, say that he really does mean it and that he really does want to revoke press credentials. What it means is that we don't have just basic coverage of the type of stuff that he's saying when he's out talking to voters in an airplane hangar in West Virginia or walking from the Rose Garden up to his helicopter. Sometimes he'll stop and take a question or two from the gaggle that's assembled before he gets on Marine One. You know, it's just important to be able to observe him and be able to hear him speak as he speaks to voters or to other people in the administration. And I think the more that we can see of him, the better. So if he really is threatening, which I don't think he is, I think this is just his boredom manifesting, if he really is threatening it, I think it's a pretty serious thing. Right now, in particular, Three Americans are coming back from North Korea. There's potential for a lot of good news coverage for the president in in his mind, right, in his estimation. But is there anything else that you think that he can do to have a better relationship with the media? I think it's pretty one-sided. He wants the media 
to be perceived as his enemy because it benefits him to have an enemy. And he is happiest, I think, when he has a clear enemy. It's why he still brings up Hillary Clinton, even though he won the election over a year ago. I don't think it's something that you could fix by, you know, having some reporters over for dinner or something. I think it could only be fixed by answering questions from the press and not misleading the press or deflecting or outright lying to the press, not attacking the press in such a a blatant way all the time. But, you know, the, the, the most obvious stuff, you know, the tweets or whatever he says at rallies about certain reporters, I think... A sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd, or you know something about Jim Acosta, or what oh, have yeah, you. He loves that his kind of- Go ahead. No, not you. Not you. Your organization's terrible. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. That kind of stuff doesn't really matter that much in terms of our the broad relationship. I think what matters is not being full of shit all the time when reporters ask questions. I saw. I was looking at your tweets, and uh, one of them struck me as kind of funny and kind of true, actually. You think everybody's upset about all this, but he's probably just bored and agitated and chaos thrills him. You went on to say that he probably sees a direct link between banning the press and a successful election. Like you said, having that villain always there helps propel him higher. I think he is still uh, uncomfortable in the White House. You know, it's not his type of scene in D.C., not that he leaves the White House very often, but he's kind of, he's in this unfamiliar setting. He's away from his friends. He's away from Trump Tower, his home for the last 25 years. I think that he's just kind of looking for entertainment in these little battles that he picks all the time. I think that's how, you know, I think we have to take what he says seriously because he is the president. These are official statements from our government. But at the same time, I think we have to understand, you know, who he is and who he is. It's really petty and kind of like, it's like dealing with a kid who wants to see like what they can get away with, except he has nukes. (laughs) Olivia Nutzi, Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.